We're on the record. I'm Sheila Cass. Good morning. Martin Luther King Jr. was born 95 years ago. His birthday is a day of service and volunteering for many who celebrate his legacy in civil rights. It's a day to reflect on King's values, what he fought for before he was murdered at age 39. That year, 1968, was a big year for a cause Reverend King championed, the labor movement. In the spring, he went to Memphis, Tennessee, campaigning with unionized sanitation workers. He told them he was not worried about the threats against him. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. The next evening, Reverend King was shot and killed. His death reverberated across the country. And the success of the sanitation workers in Memphis would have direct consequences for Baltimore and Maryland and the thousands of public sector workers seeking to unionize here. Jane Berger, Ph.D., is an associate professor of history at Moravian University. She's also author of A New Working Class, The Legacies of Public Sector Employment in the Civil Rights Movement. Welcome to the show, Professor Berger. Hi, thank you for having me. Catch us up. In the spring of 1968, what is the status of the civil rights movement? What is King's role in it? Well, by 1968, something that I think is uh, particularly important is that Dr. King was turning his attention to organizing the Poor People's Campaign. He had long been aware of the importance of economic issues and economic justice as a intrinsic to the civil rights movement. I think during the Cold War era, during the time period when many Americans were very fearful of communism, activists who made any sort of economic claims made themselves vulnerable to the assertion that they were communists or you know supporting the reds and so it was difficult for activists during the 50s to advance an economic agenda safely he already dr king already had a fbi record without even doing that very aggressively but by the 60s he was definitely ramping up his efforts to pull economic justice more firmly into the agenda of the civil rights movement. And why were sanitation workers in Memphis on strike? Well, earlier, a few months before they, or shortly before they started their strike, two sanitation workers in that city were crushed to death in the back of a Mm. malfunctioning garbage truck. And the sanitation workers, all of whom were African-American, had themselves started to unionize. They had created their own organization that was loosely affiliated with the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees. So they were advancing a union agenda, but the death of those co-workers, the tragedy of those deaths, pushed them into the strike. In March 1968, in Memphis, King delivered a speech to sanitation workers at Bishop Charles Mason Temple of the Church of God in Christ. Let's hear part of it. You are demanding that this city will respect the dignity of labor. So often we overlook the worth and the significance of those who are not in 
professional jobs, of those who are not in the so-called big jobs. But let me say to you tonight that whenever you are engaged in work that serves humanity and is for the building of humanity, it has dignity and it has worth. How was King thinking about economic issues and civil rights at this point in his life? Well, another part of that speech that I think makes his thinking clear is when he says, what good does it serve a person to be able to sit at a lunch counter if he can't afford a hamburger? And so I think that he was very definitely trying to make lay bare the fact that you can have uh, civil rights, but if you don't have the economic power that gives you full access to the mainstream economy and to political access, et cetera, you don't have what you need to have a fully functioning democracy. And there's a connection between workers in Memphis and workers in Baltimore. What What is that link? Well, similar to the workers in Memphis, uh, sanitation workers and other public sector employees during the 1960s also had come to the conclusion that unionization would be in their best interest. And uh, the sanitation workers in particular had been working with the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees, which is the same organization that the Memphis sanitation workers were um, affiliated with. And so they, public sector workers in Baltimore, led by a man, a black man named Raymond Clark, had long been trying to gain collective bargaining rights. And something that I think, you know, it's really important for me as a historian to realize is that you know, as we think about what role do local everyday people play and what role do mammoth civil rights leaders like Dr. King play in making change, you need them both. And so the ground was already laid in Baltimore for, you know, efforts to get the city of Baltimore to recognize public sector unions. Ultimately, though, it did take, or Dr. King's assassination just really ricocheted that issue to the top of the uh of the day's events and helped Baltimore workers secure that outcome. You wrote on Black Perspectives, the website of the African American Intellectual History Society, that Baltimore low-wage public sector workers, quote, found both inspiration in King's support for the sanitation worker strike and an opportunity to advance their own ongoing efforts to secure union rights, close quote. Tell us more about the opportunity in front of these workers in Baltimore. Well, American workers in general are thought to have gained the right to unionize during the New Deal when uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt passed the Wagner Act, which uh, was premised on the idea that a way to really bulk up the working class and middle class people of the United States is to give them an opportunity to negotiate over the terms of their employment. Public sector workers were not included in that legislation. And so they were a segment of the labor force that was reliant purely on negotiations that occurred in a realm where they didn't have much influence. And so that, and really what was happening in Baltimore was happening across the country and quite frankly, around the world during the 1960s. Government workers were beginning to feel like they needed those same rights that other workers had so that they could weigh in on working conditions, whether or not, you know, certain, some things that used to really upset 
sanitation workers at this time were kind of lateness penalties, just ways that workers felt like they were arbitrarily treated, not having a say in promotion procedures, not being able to have any influence over favoritism. But then there were other really important issues such as health insurance. The American Federation um, asked me ultimately in one of its early, once it was recognized, help secure um, vision insurance for their members. And suddenly you had a whole cohort of children in Baltimore City Public Schools whose parents worked for the city who got to have glasses and could now see what was on the chalkboard and that didn't have to sit in the front row. So there, the, the union was able to win for workers many benefits that they did not have access to, paid sick time, you know. And um, that really gave so many families the security that moved them into kind of really a stable working class or middle class lifestyles. I'm Al Waller. I'm Katherine Collinson. And I'm Mihaela Vince. In upcoming episodes of Clear Path, Your Roadmap for Life, we'll discuss ways to catch up on retirement savings and the importance of self-care. Tune in to WYPR's website and mobile app, all major podcast platforms, and transamericainstitute.org. This is On the Record. I'm Sheila Cass speaking with Jane Berger, Ph.D., and Associate Professor of History at Moravian University. We're talking about the connections between the civil rights movements and the labor movement in Baltimore and cities like it across America. As they organized, what what were some of the lessons demonstrators in Maryland were taking from labor protests in other parts of the country like Memphis? Well, one thing that is interesting is that the... uh Strikers in Baltimore in 1968, so shortly after, months, just a few months after Dr. King was assassinated, the sanitation workers led a strike in Baltimore. And many of the leaders of ASME were back and forth between Baltimore and Memphis. Um, the, the workers themselves not weren't necessarily, but they used, you, you probably recall, many of us are familiar with that sign, I am a man, which mm-hmm. was made famous by Memphis sanitation workers who are proclaiming, maybe in a gendered way, but that just what you played in the Dr. King quote, the dignity of labor, and that if people are working a full-time job should have full-time wages and be treated with respect. And that was a sentiment shared by Baltimore sanitation workers, but one that Dr. King brought attention to and that they absolutely um, trumpeted as they struck, struck in Baltimore. The public sector workers were successful here. I mean, what are, what are the consequences of that? Yes. So, I, I mean, the nineteenth. This issue, as I mentioned, was already well under debate in Baltimore. It had been an election issue, and the it was pretty likely that public sector workers were going to win union rights, which would mean that the city agreed to negotiate with organizations that won union elections. It wasn't definite. And this is the 60s. We're talking about a very uh, racially conservative city council for the most part. And the mayor, uh, Del Zandro, had campaigned saying that he would support union rights. But the strike was sort of the nail in the coffin, so to speak. It pushed the city to, to pass the legislation that enabled it to negotiate with unions. So how would you summarize King's legacy on economic issues for workers like those who sought to unionize here? Well, I think his wife, Coretta Scott King, really carried out his legacy just a year later, also in Baltimore, when she returned to the city and 
was working with hospital workers uh, as part of an organization called 1199. And I think the shared vision is that uh, racial and economic justice are inextricably interwoven and you can't have one without the other. And this, if you, you need to have workers who have access to decent wages and working conditions and the respect that workers all deserve in order to live in a just society. Professor Berger, thanks for joining us to talk about this history on Martin Luther King Day. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Jane Berger, Ph.D., is an associate professor of history at Moravian University. She's the author of A New Working Class, The Legacies of Public Sector Employment in the Civil Rights Movement. Short break on the record when we're back. An historic black journalism organization houses a rich archive of civil rights history covering Martin Luther King Jr. and more. I'm Sheila Cass. Stay with us. (laughs) 